Our world started with a data explosion marked by an exponential growth in the volume, velocity, and variety of data being piped in and out of organizations. However, despite this new wealth in technology and data, businesses had never been so challenged to drive revenue growth. Plagued by dark, siloed, unusable data, rendering their go-to-market motions useless. Until one day, the most courageous data heroes took back control of their company's most valuable asset transforming their customer data sets from a burden to a true system of insight, capable of automating sales motions, delivering personalized marketing programs at scale, and driving predictable revenue growth for their business. Welcome to the Data Heroes podcast powered by Ringlead. Welcome, everybody, to another version of Talk Data to Me. We've got a very special guest today with us, uh, Jeff Ignacio from Upkeep. He's the head of revenue operations, and um, welcome. Hey, John. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. You know, I, I think the first thing that we kind of want to learn about you and, 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 and what that revenue operations role is, is kind of, you know, what is the day in the life Jeff and, and revenue operations at, at Upkeep, and, and, and what are your responsibilities? Sure, I can start off with defining what revenue operations is, at least to, in my mind, and what it is over at Upkeep. So revenue operations is a capability or function that helps align both strategy and execution for the go-to-market capabilities. So at Upkeep, we support process enablement, advisory, and systems across multiple departments, including marketing, sales, and customer success. We also, from time to time, interact with product and finance quite a bit. So um, everything from strategic all the way down to tactical and have a really great time helping build a rocket ship. That's awesome. And, you know, along this path to becoming a, a data hero or a data star, superstar, you know, I guess I guess we kind of want to know what 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 did lead up to becoming a data hero for you. You know, what was your path like? Honestly, I think it all started out from my very first job. I was a consultant for Accenture, helping to configure SAP at the large media and entertainment studios. And so, the opportunity to see how these large, you know, hallowed enterprises were building their own marketing departments back then. It wasn't API; it was EDI instead of cloud. It was on-prem, and so we were configuring these large packages to help connect box office ticket systems to talk to centralized marketing planning. Uh, systems over at the studios and allowed them to really calibrate around if we were to shift investment, say, you know, $100,000 of marketing spend from one mark media market to another, what impact would that have in terms of box office receipts? And so the ability to see early on that data played such an integral role in decision making. And then from there, moving reactively and on the fly for these large businesses was really something to see. Yeah, you know, if if you hadn't landed at Accenture and, you know, revenue ops hadn't become a career for you in in your ideal like world, what what would you be doing? <laughs> so, folks may not know this about me, but growing up, I was really into hip-hop culture, so break dancing and rapping uh, were some fun hobbies of mine and uh, ended up doing a quite a few, you know, battle competitions out in high school. So maybe I'd be still doing that. Who knows? A little eight mile version of Jeff somewhere in an alternate universe. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I've got a song for you uh, at some point. I'll, I'll share it. I'm also a big hip hop fan. I think it's kind of like a, you know, a cultural thing in the, in our rev space. Um, 
And I, I love the culture. I love um, the music, the vibe. Um, and there's this song, um, I think it's by g Easy, And he said, I never thought I'd be doing mops and now I'm on. And he was talking about like mopping the floor. But now, you know, you, it's like I want that to be my walk-up song. <laughs> that would be awesome. If you can go up to that, that, that definitely have to be uh, your walk-up song at your next kickoff. For sure. Um, that's cool. I didn't know that about you. I, um, I'll, I'll have to introduce you to another group of us. But um, So you guys are, are big Salesforce users, um, and it sounds like there's Pardots in the mix. And so... You know, uh, just kind of wondering what you guys like about Pardot. Um, I know that you're RevOps and highly you know, trained in sales ops as well. Um, but from your unique perspective, like what is it about Pardot that, that, that made it a really good choice for you guys? So I think early on when we were considering a package between a map and a CRM and the combination of how they would work together, um, you know, at the size of where we were when we first acquired Pardot, it helped us build and scale um, for our first couple of years. And so uh, today, what we still love about Pardot is working through uh, dynamic list generation, allowing us to create target audiences that are meaningful for us. And then secondly, to be able to interface and work with our external web technologies to capture said information. Uh, we're working our way to lead scoring and lead grading, which is the mechanism for us to kind of sort and prioritize leads. Uh, we're running up against certain capabilities, but for now, you know, we've just instantiated our first instance of both grading and scoring. So that's really helped us quite a bit. Um, thirdly, it's it's a tool that um, you know quite quite a few users have used. So it's um, incredible for us to find talent who's part out certified. So it it helps us scale our organization. Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing that that community grow all the time, um, and just marketing automation community growing all the time as they take a larger stakeholds in in the you know the total um, life cycle of the management of, of prospects through customers through upsells, cross sells, right in the automation system. Um, also, kind of wondering, you know. Everybody, if you know, if you if you're doing an ABM strategy or if you, you really want to target the best buyers in your database, um, it all comes down to profiling data. And that could be ideal account profiles where I like to start all the way down into the ideal personas and at what stage those personas should be engaged and with what type of offers and content. Um, but back towards the, you know, the, 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 the beginning of that process, right? Now, what do you guys do that's unique or maybe common to create ideal account profiles so that you know that, you know, you're targeting the best businesses that are in market today. Uh, so first and foremost, it all comes from strategy and the strategy is informed with data. Um, at first, when we were building, the only insight we had was uh, kind of solving for the problem from the original founder and our product team. Um, but as we started selling and started figuring out that there were some diversified uh, customer bases, we can start to take a look at the, the existing customer base, segment that out, look for some patterns. And we find some patterns along a couple dimensions. Um, account size, uh, obviously where they're located. Um, it's easier to facilitate and transact business in, say, certain markets for us. Um, thirdly is taking a look at the personas. So um, job titles is another way of figuring out who is talking to us. And then from there, we're working with the sales team to understand you know, how 
kind of low or high are we answering the organization? And then how long does that take for us to get to, um, you know, a, a deal with the customer? So from that feedback, we're allowed to then hypothesize what makes sense to us. And we've kind of, tri- kind of triangulated around a couple of things. Um, core industries and industries as measured by a couple of dimensions, um, win rate on the opportunity basis. Second, gross and net retention. So it's not enough to just win a customer, but do they stick around? And then secondly, how long do they stick around? Do they expand with us? And so what we find in certain industries is they maybe they go from a dollar down to, um, you know, I don't know, say 70 or 80 cents, and they move up to a dollar ten, dollar twenty. That tells us that within that segmentation of that industry, we can start to take a little bit more insight. Now, industry and persona, employee count. That's going to be your, your kind of your firmographic data. We also layer on some complementary technologies that help us embed and get stickier into those accounts. So technographic data is really helpful as well. Um, over time, what we're hoping for is figuring out, you know, what are some of the hidden values that or traits that customers exhibit with us that we can't see from any third-party vendor. And so that's where we start to get a little creative and hopefully we can merge that data set into, um, you know, what we're looking at to target and retarget prospects. So then, you know, once you understand your target audience, right, sounds like you guys have it down to a, a pretty nice science. Is there any, is that utilized in your territory planning? Like, do you give your account reps a certain amount of accounts that rank highest and, and, and spread them out into territories? Like, um, are those profiles and that ideal customer profile analysis part of your territory planning? It is. So, um, Today, you know, we're primarily based on a net new and an expansion split, um, but we'll be looking to create hybrid roles in the long run is one hypothesis that we're exploring. With that comes in mind, um, you know, different kind of potential of our existing customer base. Um, those customers are going to come from all different industries, some from our core and some from our non-core. So we'll have to come up with that delineation. Um, but the way we think about territories is, you know, what is the maximum potential to solve problems at scale um, through upkeep? And that's going to come from certain industries. And since we sell to manufacturing, there are going to be clusters of different types of manufacturing around the country. So I haven't looked into too deeply, but I would expect that the Rust Belt, maybe parts of the South and parts of the Plains are going to have certain types of products that they manufacture, so different types of machines. But there's some universality between how maintenance professionals um you know, work through their machines and their properties. And so those are the things that I'm looking for in terms of cutting our territories. Very cool. So then you're basically taking kind of first party analytics, which is, you know, cost of acquisition, lifetime value. Um, you know, are they growing or, or, or are they shrinking in size? And then you're layering that with third party uh, as data, as well as probably some first party, you know, engagement data, like demographics, firmographics, um, technographics to create the profiles. And then you're distributing those profiles, you know, as evenly as possible as you can throughout the different territory segments. That's pretty cool. Um, Now, when you started really diving into like building out ideal profiles and making sure they were being targeted, um, you know, through multi-channels, did you find that there was an increase in conversion or deal size or a reduction in churn when you started acquiring these types of businesses? So some insights that we found, you know, I think the issue, the thing is, you know, you come into a market with a hypothesis 
And then you enter the other side of that tunnel of understanding, you know, with maybe a different hypothesis. There's some, some myths that we've busted. That's for sure. There are some hypotheses that we've confirmed. And then thirdly, there was some surprise left field. Um, so the way I thought about it is creating a four quadrant box, a two by two, like any normal consultant would have. And the way we've constructed it, it is um, net new acquisition win rates uh, across one dimension and then net retention on the other side. And so we've come up with these four boxes. Two of the boxes are considered go. So anything above uh, 100% net retention. And then for, uh, and obviously, hopefully everyone is, um, some people understand what I'm talking about when I say net retention if you're not in the SaaS space. But um, the other, on the other side of it is the net, uh, is the win rate. So if you're um, a high win rate and a modest uh, net retention, then you're considered what I would call a vetting. We'd have to come and double click and vet. Those are areas where I think my team is going to have to explore and figuring out, you know, are there, some subsectors in those spaces that are going to move up into those green boxes where we call them goes. And then our reds are going to be those no goes, low win rate, uh, north of less south of 100% retention, net retention. So, you know, the thing about, um, when I'm thinking about going after different businesses, it's what it makes the most sense to target with a limited amount of resources that we have available. And as we scale and build a moat around, uh, you know, our revenue base, and we have a we have a hundred dollars turning into one hundred twenty dollars consistently. Um, that allows us to then start um, infilling and building vertical solutions for some of these spaces that are not yielding as high of a net retention for us. Yeah, you know, speaking of that, you know, engaging the once you know the right buyers or the the businesses you want to sell to, now activating those and making sure you stay within a budget and uh, make sure that you are you know, positive on, on, on the return on investment for every dollar spent marketing and, and selling to those businesses. Um, you know, what are the, the different channels that you guys use to go out and target those people at the campaigns? Is it, you know, are you doing the display ads? Um, you know, like for us, it's like directories, we we're everywhere, but what do you guys do to multi-channel, you know, outreach to those key target accounts? Uh, so we do a couple of things. Uh, performance marketing, that's for sure. Um, paid reviews uh, were, I think, number one or number two. I think we're number one in both G2 and in Captera. So um, ease of use tends to be our, our differentiator. Um, and so any any solution that is looking for a mobile-first application, a lot of these solutions in our space are, are um, I, I wouldn't say they're Web 1.0, but they look like they are one web 1.0 and so you have to go back to a desk to fill out your your your, your work um so, so um site reviews are huge for us but those leads tend to be pretty late in their evaluation uh, we're one against three or four different vendors and so we definitely put our best foot forward in each of those different um any of those different engagements um we also move up the curve uh you know a little earlier on the consideration and interest so we're building out um or we have built out quite a bit of um content and copy in uh, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Bing. Uh, Bing is an interesting place because you're typically on a work laptop and the default browser is Bing. And so it's a more serious buyer uh, when they land onto our, our, our pages. Um, we also have different calls to action in our different um, in our different properties. So whether you're looking for a free trial, um, which is much more of a um, try before you buy, um, and your first outreach is going to be more about deriving value as opposed to trying to get a demo and selling. And then you have those, obviously, the, the you know, see a demo button, which is the all-important button on almost every single SaaS business out there. Um, in terms of organic content, we have uh, we built a, a pretty strong community, um, and I think it was one of the best communities out there. We try to make it less of a commercial 
um, outreach than anything. It's, it's really for the men, the members who are looking to, you know, yield best practices around um, how to be a best maintenance and reliability professional. And it's a huge resource for that community. And we learned quite a bit as well. So instead of your typical customer advisory board, or your product advisory board, you're actually listening and, and, and looking for signals from within the community. Um, and folks are, you know, working with each other each day. And that's given us a huge huge purview into, you know, what we can incorporate into our products and to, into our services. Um, but overall, as we're building out our program, um, we think about it along the lines of paid, organic um, campaigns, sources, assets, offers. And, you know, we try to be very thoughtful around what we can and cannot do uh, quarter in, quarter out. Yeah, you know, um, very similar. We do a lot of digital and then, you know, have sales teams, in some cases, dialing one-to-one behind it. And, um you know, what we find is that that outbound activity drives a lot of net new inbound from the same companies. And then, you know, the marketing system, no matter which one you're in, Pardot, Marketo, HubSpot, Eloqua, they're person databases, right? And so um, when person records get created and they may have been driven from an outbound that you did to, to one of their colleagues that was then forwarded, Right. Or you met somebody at a trade show and now their boss asked them to go, you know, an analyst to come to your website. What do you guys do to combat the fact that leads trying to make their way into your, you know, your Pardot are not being connected to accounts when they make it into Salesforce? You know, are you able to basically make a link between a person and a business and then make a decision on how to route it properly um, and attribute it to that existing account? So what you want to do, um, you know, so leads beget leads. Um, obviously, when you, especially as you move into um, higher employee count segments, and so you might be inbound, you might be outbounding to uh, your target ICP. They're going to start forwarding via, you know, Slack or email. Um, you may or may not have a, a pixel tracker in that email, um, and it's sent uh, email, um, sent out to another colleague. Um, but you know, what happens is that virality inside of an organization is going to hopefully generate more leads coming in. Now, what you want to do is have uh, an ability to um, match a lead to account. If we're talking about Salesforce uh, nomenclature here, obviously. But as a lead comes in, you want to identify it. Um, if you're growth hacking, you're probably going to use something as simple as the domain match. But if you get something, use something as specific as um, an enrichment on a pre-CRM insertion. So you identify the lead between the form and by the time it hits CRM, that allows it to then say, okay, I see this lead, happens to be on this account. And then subsequently you have an opportunity that's in flight. And I can see uh, that either it's the same company, group it as a convert it into a contact and lump it into the opportunity. And that way you're avoiding that conflict between um, your, sor- your source conflict between your inbound and your outbound. Um, and uh, ideally, you know, that's the splitting hairs for attribution. But more importantly, the person who's coming inbound has a consistent experience and is reached out to by the same pod of people or the same sales rep or product specialist. And for them, it says, wow, this is, this is so seamless. It didn't have to call in and then get transferred over the line and be put on hold multiple times. Um, not to say that's, that's how the experience goes for SaaS companies. But that experience allows for some consistency and it just makes, uh, just reduces hurdles that shouldn't even be there for the buyer. Yeah, you know, I, I, it also really cleans up the round robins for the net new lead queues, right? Like, if you can go from you know dropping every lead into uh, an SDR queue where they're going to manually convert them into the right, you know, account with the opportunity owner, 
um, and you automate that, now you can really distribute the the net new leads at a at a, at a very fair rate without seeing you know a lot of conflicts with people always complaining. But even more important, like handing off that that lead to the person who owns the relationship and can c- control that consistent you know buying motion for the u- end user. I think is really important. Um, so you know if so once you're basically getting your you we've talked about targeting right. And then we've talked about, um, you know, making a link to the people as you're driving through multi-channel campaigns, making a link back to the account. Um, You know, what do you guys do to make sure that your assignment of data as it is being presented into the the CRM is is quickly processed, it's managed, you know, handed off to the right user? Um, You know, what type of technology or, or processes do you guys use today to manage that? So we use a number of different tools. Um, so shout out to the vendors who help build our stack. Uh, we use Salesforce, Pardot. We have ZoomInfo, Ringlead, and Chili Piper. So these different technologies allow us to you know, interact with our web form, web form technologies on our sites, as well as through our email booking links. It allows us to capture those leads, sort them out, identify the right attributes to append onto the data while not also encumbering our forms with too many requirements because everyone knows the more fields that are required on a, on a form, you have fewer and lower completion rates. And so what we want to do is have that balance between um, higher volume of, of form fills, but then also to identify, um, you know, you know, business emails, particularly for us, it's super huge for a B2B. And then figuring out from there, based on the territories or round robin assignments of how we allocate and distribute those leads or those contacts for uh, for particular sales engagement, um, we do have a, um, a sales led model uh, where you know uh, we do outbound, but we also have our inbound machine between our product and our marketing leads, uh, and those are sent over to our um, at least top of funnel, which is our sales development reps. That's really great. Um... You know, Jeff, I, I think we want to hear something negative today, right? Like, what is the biggest dirty data disaster you've ever had to uh, deal with? <laughs> Let's see. Um, I don't know if there's one that stands out, but there, there are plenty. So account hierarchies are always a pain. Um, lead versus contact is always an interesting uh, philosophical paradigm um, at companies. Um Person accounts, I think, is an in- another interesting one. Um, I would say the largest challenge that I've faced um, is incorporating another CRM into a, a, a global CRM. And so, um, what ended up happening was you'd have a you have a couple of well, quite a few issues to work through. Um, obviously, roles, teams, um, you know, the personnel. Um, we had to decide on paper first, you know, what the org design was going to be: product specialist versus generalist. Um, quotas and overlays. Um, so you had that whole idea, that whole entire machine. Um, you had um, different fiscal quarters, fiscal year, sorry. And so now we had to aggregate and, and, and come up with a, a finance model that worked for us in terms of our reporting. And also the account structures. Um, we had a lot of overlap, but one was a B2C and one was a B2B. And so now you had these person accounts that were coming in and that were previously treated as leads for the other enterprise. And so um, those two combined, you're starting to think through you know, not just M&A, but on a systems integration piece, what that's going to look like. And as one body, one uh, corporate body absorbs another, you know, what that's going to look like. Um, so that, that was an interesting challenge for me personally. I, I have that conversation all the time about 
um, migrating databases, but the other one about like, should we abandon the lead object and just use the contact object? And there, that is one that just, you can't answer the right way, either way you take it, because, you know, as a salesperson, I'm like, well, if you convert a hundred people into my account, like, and I try to go build and uh, put opportunity roles, I can't even work on with more than 50 in a list at one time. So I like page to page to page. But on the other hand, right, if you leave the leads as leads, um, their activity history can be, you know, hard to get up to the account. We're in the same format as just the general contact activity logs and stuff like that. So um, when it, I'd love to, 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 to like get a group of us together to like finally debate that one out for sure. Um, so, um, you know, there's a couple other items, right, that we want to discuss here today. I think you just talked about some, some dirty data disasters. Uh, we've talked about lead routing. We've talked about targeting. Um, are you guys doing anything like account scoring uh, today or, you know, prioritizing account by a scoring them? So we are. Um, there's two pieces to it. One is kind of a net new account scoring, like, you know, if you were to hand, um, so every sales rep has a capacity. Um, you know, you only have so many minutes in a day. You only have so many days in a week. And so some of the activities, you know, particularly for the enterprise and mid-market, when you're building out your account plans and then going to outreach, uh, you're going to have a finite time to, uh, ability to reach out to every single account. So you end up creating, you know, some sort of filtering mechanism, um, A's, B's, C's, tier one, tier two, tier three, whatever you want to call it. And then you're going to then assign different, um, you know, plays or coverage models around each because you want to try to outreach to at minimum a quarter of your book because every quarter you're going to rotate those accounts out to, to minimize any fatigue in terms of outreach. Um, and so the things that we're doing around, um, you know, building those account territories is, um, you know, industry profile, um, you know, are they in our target segment? Are they in our sub industry segments? So those are, you know, things that we check on their ICP or they're not uh, on the employee account. Once they do become a customer, um, then we start to take a look at uh, their product engagement. So we do have the ability to capture useful product metrics inside of our CRM and, and our other systems. And that allows us to build a comprehensive playbook around, okay, how do we prioritize existing customers? And then also look for warning signs, you know, put order the bells and whistles that then say, hey, this account looks like it's at risk. So mm -hmm. a couple of things you might want to consider and not necessarily that we do this, but, you know, is your champion still at that company? So, you know, looking for solutions to see uh, if that email is still working or if they've left companies and you can, you can use, find that in other third-party vendors. Second thing is your admins. Have they stopped logging in? Have they stopped using your core features? Um, those are things that are critical and not out of the box. And you're going to have to build your way into getting a view into that world. Um, and so that gives us the ability to do um, scoring for customers and then for potential net new accounts. Very cool. You know, I recently had Mark Roberge. I, I don't know if you've read the sales acceleration formula, but Mark Roberge was on the show um, and... <clears throat> He was talking about something I just thought was amazing. And it was like, all leads are not created equal. So what they did was they broke down the value of content leads versus the value of trial leads versus the value of a demo request, right? By analyzing past close one win rates on those leads and values. And so they basically marketing ended up having to sign up in their SLA 
um, for a certain value of leads per month. It wasn't for a certain number of MQLs. They didn't, sales didn't care how they got there. It was like, if you get me $5 million worth of content leads, that's the same as, as if you give me $5 million worth of a combination of demo requests and content leads, right? And I thought that was just like transformational thinking about, uh, you know, lead value that way. And then secondly, though, they put a, um, a series of dashboards together on the sales rep side where say, if you don't call these inbound leads within the first 15 minutes of them being created, your name will end up on this dashboard. And it's a don't be on a dashboard. And then the other one was if you don't call, you know, an enterprise lead 12 times within the first nine weeks, your name goes on this dashboard. And if you don't call a commercial lead nine times within that time frame and a SMB six times, you're on that dashboard. And that's why they were able to, to support such an amazing inbound model is because both teams were aligned on that service level agreement. Um, and it was easy to find the people that were constantly, you know, hit, not hitting their SLAs. Um, so wondering with you guys, do you have any sort of, you know, agreement between sales and marketing on lead flow to follow up timing or, you know, what's what's required by sales in this process of, of follow up on inbound leads? Yeah, first off, uh, love Mark. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak with him and everything that falls out of that man's mouth seems to be relevant to, uh, you know, any go to market machine day to day. Um, we do have that. So, you know, to point to a couple of things, um, you know, what is the value of a lead? Is a lead a lead? Is an MQL an MQL? The answer is no, right? Because, you know, those those MQLs and those leads are actually people. And each of those people are in different environments and have different situations. And they're at different points in their buying process or their their, um, their solution process. And secondly, they have different um levels of power or influence within their organizations and each organization has different decision-making processes. So, so goes to show that, you know, you can split and aggregate and group and look at a, you know, a bunch of data, but at the end of the day, um, you're just trying to benchmark around some sort of average and you're trying to segment as much as possible to find, you know, common distributions within those different pockets or clusters of data you're looking at. Um, so that's one way I think it's extremely smart to take a look at, um, the second thing is our SLAs. Um, SLAs at the end of the day is about alignment and partnership between marketing and sales. And so when you create alignment, you then have to have uh, commitment and accountability. That commitment and accountability is about what are the series of activities based on the insight provided by management. Just so, for example, it doesn't always work out, but maybe it will for the most part, because that's what the data suggests in baseball or in basketball. A uh, famous example is, a uh, you know, uh, you know, Eckersley pitching to, uh, you know, to, to the Dodgers and, 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 um, and Gibby. So, um, you're in three, two count. He's going to throw a backdoor slider. You know, that's what the data suggests. And that's what the research says. Sure enough, that ha- that one pitch happened to be the three, two slider for a world series, uh, game one win, uh, in 88. Um, doesn't always work out that way, but you're, you're just making informed choices. So for example, if it's a content lead, most likely it's going to be much earlier in their decision-making process. They may not be, they're problem aware. So that's why they're doing their research. They're not solution aware, or maybe they are. And so, you know, it's your job to start thinking about, okay, where are they? Am I going to hit them with a, what are you doing next Thursday? Would you like to talk to an account executive talk track? Or would it be, Hey, what are you going through today? 
Walk me through how you're doing that and how does that impact your day-to-day? What's preventing you from where you want to get to? And that's a more consultative um, type talk track. And so at the end of the day, when you're building out your go-to-market machine, you're going to have these federated um, you know, leads or MQLs in different positions. And they're responding to different offers and assets that give you some indication or signal of what they're what they're trying to get to. And then if you can meet them halfway to where they are and then lead them and educate them and teach them to get through the door and make sure that you're the one and your vendor is, is the one that's doing it the best, and you, you just put yourself in a position to win more often than not. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us in RevOps today, marketing ops, sales ops, we know that there's a need for clean and concise data and workflows. Um, and now we it's been harder in the past to educate the executive sponsorship teams that, you know, solutions need to be um, invested in and teams need to be invested in to address, you know, just the the orchestration of data in general, especially as it pertains to the go-to-market systems. Um, you know, what are some of the, the negative outcomes that you you could give to the, the viewers that, you know, if they don't address certain things with their data today, um, will impact whether this, you know, the CEO or the chief revenue officer or the CMO is going to hit their goals for tomorrow. I think, um, you know, we're all looking for ways to better position um, not just the stack of tools, but the teams that are going to be required to automate the collection, the, you know, the refinement, um, the processing and the distribution of information to everybody who needs it in sales and marketing. And so, um, you know, do you have any tips and tricks on how to make sure that, you know, when you're taking a, an ask to an executive sponsor, when it pertains to data or, or workflows with data that, um, you know, you you can get, you basically get a yes every time? Uh, I don't bat a thousand, that's for sure. Um, so a couple of things, right? Um, we I, t- I try to think of things in terms of short-term and long-term needs. Um, hopefully you're doing a rolling quarterly view of the business, um, like point blank, you have an operating model complete with an entire waterfall around your top of funnel and all your sources of how do you generate pipeline? And then how do you process and execute that pipeline? And it gives you some telltale signs on average attainment. You can then look at, you know, what are the butts and seats and the head counts that we're going to have to open? Um, and you're going to obviously going to have your attritions and your promos. That gives you some insight into how the business is going to perform along a couple of scenarios. Um, Status quo, you know, um, some, you know, incremental investment or some stretch of investment. Um, And then from there, you're going to have to think through, okay, what processes you're going to have to change, what systems are going to have to change. And from there, you can start to put together a, a view of, okay, this tool is coming up for renewal. We're thinking it's, it's efficiently meeting our capability, but for where we want to go, it's going to fall short of that of that goal. And so the next thing to do is start looking at different options. So you start going through your vendor evaluation process pretty early. So I like to look at you know tools that are going to expire in the next nine months um, for us or tools that we don't have at all. We start to do a, a vendor evaluation and a kind of a, a future state vision board of what our overall technology stack might look like in, say, Q1 of 2022, Q2 of 2022, and then work backwards from there. Um, our, we're, we're pretty small today, so we actually make decisions fairly quickly. Um, but you know, when I was at you know at other companies with you know tens of thousands of employees, acquiring a new tool took a year. Um, so 
So those are the things that, um, based on your timeline, work backwards from. For us, we can work backwards pretty quickly. So like three or four months, we'll kick off a search, make make a decision, um, hopefully earlier than that, and then start to get to the brass tacks of implementation. Hopefully, it's in parallel uh, with a kind of inspiring uh, vendor of ours. Um, and then that way we can seamlessly transition from from one platform to the other. And that's just a you know how it goes. There's some companies that um, you know you're going to bring in new leaders. They want new tools, um, or perhaps um, you know you have a tool that's just not meeting your needs anymore. And so it's time to time to rip and replace. Awesome. Well, um, you know we're getting to the end of our time here today, and we want to thank you for um, for joining us and, and and talking about revenue operations and how to you know, focus on the data around them and, and make sure that your teams are set, uh, set up for success. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. We'll have you on another time. For sure. Appreciate it.